Special technique. Special technique of shadow boxing. of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, lead boxing analyst for the cohort Truth on Sports and the head honcho for the Boxing Source on social media. You can go on Facebook and find the Boxing Source, like the page. You can also follow us on Twitter at Boxing Source 2. And you can also add us on Instagram at the Boxing Source. Number to dial in is 347-237-5539. Once again, 347-237-5539. Press one key to get on cue and you'll be able to talk live on the show. Got a few things that we're going to cover here in this particular episode as we had a you know, good little um, set of action that went down on Saturday. Uh, of course, uh, he had, you know, the event over at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Uh, you also had the World Boxing Super Series plus a um, world title bout uh, that happened over in the UK and involving Josh Warrington. So we're going to be touching on that as well. Um, we just want to be able to get through all of that and uh, see if you have any feedback on what went down on Saturday night. Uh, so just want to get into it uh, first off. Of course, the uh, top story of uh, yesterday was the bout that was the main event at the MGM Grand Garden Arena involving Tyson Fury and Tom Suarez. Uh, he had Tyson Fury, of course, undefeated, 27-0-1 with his last uh, fight against Deontay Wilder as a split draw, um, you know, getting back into the scene, going up against Tom Swartz, uh a guy coming from Germany. Majority of his fights were in Germany, um, and, you know, for, for those that you know, kind of like looked into, okay, who is this Tom Swartz guy? Um, where did he come from? Uh, why was he, you know, all of a sudden placed in the rankings for the uh, WBO uh, all of a sudden, you know, when he hadn't been uh, nowhere near uh, that uh, as far as like people knew about. Up until recently, um, you had those couple of fights that he had against 
Christian Lindowski, uh, Christian Stasic, Christasic, uh, and also uh, Sanagashi, which was a uh, disqualification, uh, which is one bout that a uh, good number of uh, people had uh, brought up, uh, you know, recently because, uh, you know, they said that that was a very controversial fight. Um, but, you know, for some reason they had, uh, you know, put, you know, put him up there um, as he was the WBO Intercontinental uh, Champion uh, up until that point, uh, which, you know, kind of like uh, had, you know, people like scratching their heads, whatever it is, to kind of like see like, okay, what, like, how is he, you know, able to get into the uh, top two of the rankings when he really didn't have uh, that many uh, notable fights uh, up until that point? But uh, that's sometimes that is the uh, WBO for you, um, you know, particularly uh, that, you know, he had uh, been actually within those uh, top rankings for a while, if you go into uh, the site for the WBO, they did have uh, Tom Swartz up there in those rankings um, within the top five as of uh, November of last year. So, I mean, it's not like they didn't necessarily, uh, you know, have him, um, you know, I would say kind of like floating uh, within the WBO rankings, like in the lower tier. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of weird that, you know, he was able to be number two all of a sudden. But you know, with him getting a uh, intercontinental title there under the WBO and uh, defending it a few times, that kind of like put him, you know, in the rankings uh, within the top five of the WBO rankings. And then, you know, he eventually uh, became number two, particularly due to the um, test results of uh, Jarrell Miller, because Jarrell Miller was also included in the WBO rankings. But with him being tested positive for multiple illegal substances, they had to be dropped from the rankings. So um, there you go. Now, uh, thing about um, this particular fight, uh, so Tyson Fury went on ahead and picked Tom Swartz to be the guy to have uh, his first fight back, you know, since the draw two. Um, Deontay Wilder I wanted to see uh, what his uh, first fight would be under the uh, promotion of top rank as he did sign that multi-fight deal to be under the top rank promotion. Uh, you know, of course he had been uh, there with Frank Warren and Queensbury promotions. Uh, but, you know, now this was, you know, his uh, first fight uh, that had been under uh, top rank as his uh, number one um promotional banner and under uh, ESPN or ESPN plus as this uh, fight was under ESPN plus. And he was uh, looking to 
try to impress uh, people, uh, I guess, um, but, you know, with this um, choice of opponent, I think, you know, he kind of like made it so he would have that perfect uh, opponent of sorts to kind of look good in. Uh, Tom Swartz is, you know, somebody that is a guy that is right in front of you, uh, just uh, goes within a uh, straight line of sorts and uh, is there to be hit. And the thing with um, Tyson Fury is he's also a guy that, you know, uh, brings himself up to be a very elusive uh, fighter, uh, particularly within the heavyweight division. So uh, that's what you got out of this. And uh, I think most of the um, <laughs> most of this uh, telecast of this fight kind of like showed you know what you'll be able to do uh, there through um, Tyson Fury and how he was able to perform against Tom Swartz and I didn't really get that much out of this uh, particular fight, but you had uh, what you had with um, the ESPN commentators kind of like getting <laughs> the most out of it. Um, and they were like, oh, Tyson Fury is doing this and Tyson Fury is doing that. And you look at him dodging all the punches from Tom Swartz and goodness, you've not been able to see a heavyweight do this in a long time, especially someone of his size, and it was just a, <laughs> uh, if y'all remember how um, HBO boxing and, and, and you know, how um, Jim Lampley used to over overanalyze things that went down in uh, this particular, in his uh, fights when he covered particularly Manny Pacquiao. That's kind of like what you saw uh, here with uh, Tyson Fury in his fight uh, with Tom Swartz. And uh, he was able to knock knock down Tom Swartz to his knee for his uh, first knockdown in the second round and then get him into the corner and then just try to tee off on him with uh, right hands. And I was able to get the uh, stoppage victory as uh, Kenny Bayless stepped in. Uh, before the end of round two for Tyson Fury to get the uh, TKO win there and go to uh, 28 wins, zero losses, and one draw uh, there. And um, that's pretty much uh, what you had out of that. Um, Got a uh, caller in here from the 205 area code. Um, You're on the Boxing Source radio show. Hey, what's going on, Zane? This is Mike Gregory calling out of Atlanta. How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm, I'm gonna need my intro to be a little bit more excitement than that, brother. You, 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 you give me a brother or something that I, I, I just feel like you know my intro need to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more excitement than Zane. Well, I mean, I ain't know, man. You know, it was. It's Father's Day and everything, and I know you know that you 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 coming through, and you know you had of course uh, your newborn come through uh, recently. So I mean I don't know what I, what I, what do I want to say? Do I want to say oh the vice president of the Deontay Wilder fan club, Mike Grady, lives and in effect the boxing social radio show. <laughs> 
Hey, that's better. That's better. I feel a little bit more love. I heard, I heard some type of uh, emotion in your voice. But uh, yeah, man, appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard your your last little spiel in terms of Tyson Fury about how what I took from what you said is that they embellished a lot of stuff about what Tyson Fury did. They they exemplified it, uh, amplified it to make it more than really what it was. And so the interesting thing about that though, and them amplifying it to make it more than what it was, this is something that the PBC commentators should take note of. Their fighter fought a fighter who was overmatched, whose style was handpicked and prepared to be slaughtered by their, their fighter, and the fighter went in and did just that. They slaughtered the fighter that they were supposed to slaughter. And the thing about that, you know, them saying that he's like a knockout artist and the best boxer in the world, they did what they were supposed to do. This is what PBC is supposed to do for Deontay Wilder. Like, it's not that hard. Like, this is everyone's product. Not trying to be funny. At the end of the day, it's a business. Deontay Wilder pays their salary because people are showing up to look at PBC, whether it's a pay-per-view or whatever is on, whatever platform is on, and in turn are paying their paycheck because they're watching Deontay Wilder put his life on the line and any other fighter for that matter. Not saying that they got to, um, you know, kiss every fighter's butt, but um, it's just an example of, of how commentators should should commentate. They should speak favorable in terms of their product, the product that brings money to their front door. Um, in terms of the fight, again, it was a, a overmatched, you know, fight, and Tyson Fury did what he was supposed to do. And I think he took like a jab at um, at at Joshua too, right? He took a jab at him. But, again, the dude was tailor-made for him. All he did was put up his earmuffs and pretty much could not see where shots were coming from. And all Tyson Fury had to do was just stand there and punch a punch a punching bag. And if you stand there with your hands up, not throwing punches back, you know, the punching bag going to take more punches than you. How about that? But while Fury looked very impressive against this guy, Schwartz, was no Deontay Wilder. Uh, Wilder Fury 2 will definitely be a great fight, but again, my money is on Wilder. I can see Wilder taking his time on his shot for the next fight and catching Fury with a big right hand as Fury leans down to the right. And so that's a tendency that if you go back and look at the Fury Wilder, Wilder Fury's first one fight, Fury would lean down to his right to get away from uh, Deontay Wilder's punch. And so if Deontay Wilder is just a tad bit more patient, throws a couple, throws either a double jab or, or faint in there, kind of like how he did with um, Luis Ortiz, the crazy thing is that he was very responsive in terms of his fainting and all that stuff with Luis Ortiz because he felt like he had to be. But with Tyson Fury, he was just so empty and stuff. But I can see Deontay Wilder catching him a lot sooner because he leans to the right again. 
And mark my words, Deontay Wilder will show us that there are levels to this game. And Fury will make a good account of himself in the fight, but Fury's going to get laid out on his ass this next fight. Well, uh, as as we see the vice president of the Deontay Wilder fan club uh, further try to explain what may happen at the rematch, it's, it's kind of interesting that you uh, brought up the thing there uh, with uh, Tyson Fury and with Luis Ortiz. Now, for me, the thing with Luis Ortiz in that particular fight was that I felt that Deontay Wilder was a lot more comfortable in there with Luis Ortiz, even though Luis Ortiz was a southpaw, he was much, he was a little bit, you know, he's a lot shorter than Tyson Fury is. So he could control the range against Luis Ortiz. Uh, that's what you, you know, basically saw uh, within those first three rounds because, you know, like you, you said in, in the uh, in the show earlier in reference to Deontay Wilder and what, you know, you, you say that he does is that, with his left hand, you say that he pretty much paws out with his left hand and tries to basically um, set his range with his he left hand. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so with that, that's what, you know, he basically did in those first three rounds against Luis Ortiz to see if Luis Ortiz would have been able to get to him with his right hand or with his right jab or try to come in under uh, with his left hand to try to get to the body, uh, so he he had his he had his left hand out, which pretty much like used his full range against Luis Ortiz. That way, that you know, if Luis Ortiz tried to come in, either Deontay Wilder would step back, or he would try to get him in with the counter with the right hand to see if uh, Luis Ortiz would be would be caught with that right hand. In comparison with uh, Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury is a taller guy. Tyson Fury is the guy with the longer reach. And in that first round, you pretty much saw the that distance pretty much be established in that first round and that you kind of saw Deontay Wilder, you know, have to adjust a little bit or take a couple of rounds to adjust to see, okay, now, I mean, I can't really get my range against this guy because once I, you know, use my full – you know, full range to try to use my jab. I'm not really getting to Tyson Fury's face. So the thing is is that he might have to be able to use a little bit more mobility and try to use more feints uh, to try to get at Tyson Fury um, in this particular case because if he doesn't, then that range will be a problem for him again in that rematch. Yeah, like I said, as long as he's more patient, um, like, yes, Tyson Fury is definitely the more difficult style for any heavyweight because Tyson Fury's movement is definitely on another level for him to be so big. So you already facing most people having to punch up. If you if you try punching up, it's a lot more difficult than punching level or punching down. And, you know, so you're going against a up you're going against an uphill battle figuratively and, and literally. And um, when you do that and you also have to, like, be unset and then find him while you're not set, it's just a lot more difficult. But I think Wilder could use that to his advantage because 
if he goes to the body, like Fury was doing a great job of this, and and Wilder again was telegraphing. He was just too impatient. But if he do things to like make Fury protect the body and then go over, go over, throw like an overhand shot, that would work. Or like I said, if he if he faint Fury, if he like either faint or or pull his jab out there. And the thing is. Sure, Fury might win a few exchanges, but the thing is, Wilder will touch him a lot sooner if if they play the game of 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 lead hand dominance, you know, uh, fencing with the lead hand. If they play that game, Fury might win it, but Wilder will touch him a lot sooner than what he did, and the the ring will seem so much more smaller for Fury if Wilder does that. Because he's going to find his range. His hand is already out, so now he knows his range already. It's just – that's what I think I'm, – I'm positive that's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm so positive that that's what's going to happen because it's so evident for him to see that. And then once he does that little paw thing, Fury going to do one, one step where he, like, leans back. He's going to, like, lean back. That's going to be his first movement. And his second movement is going to lean down into the right. So first he'll lean back to, like, lean on his back foot, and then he'll lean, like, to the right you know, with his weight on the right and, and lean his head to the right. And all Wilder got to do, you know, do like a faint, faint, and then stick the hand out to make, you know, Fury think that something's coming in terms of that jab. And then Fury make them two movements, and then all Wilder got to do is throw that right hand in the same spot where Fury's head is, is leaning down to. And just don't do it too often. Don't do it too often. But, you know, like wait for it, but just do that when you're ready to hit him. And, and it's, it's going to be a totally different fight then. In terms of, uh, okay, it, it ain't going to be a totally different fight because Fury definitely is going to win the boxing match, but it'll be Wilder will touch him a lot sooner. That's all I'm saying. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, I would I would have to see if Wilder is more active in the early rounds to try to get in into uh, Tyson Fury because the thing about it is, is that you're going to have to nullify the movement of Tyson Fury because he's the one that kind of moves around the ring, you know, a lot more than uh, Deontay Wilder does. Deontay Wilder likes to, you know, sit on a lot of his punches and and that, you know, he can, you know, test his range, but also try to sit on his punches in order to try to get uh, the most power out of those. And, you know, with Fury being able to move around and, you know, move either laterally back and forth or over to the side a little bit, um, that's something that Wilder has to think about to try to, you know, catch up to um, Tyson Fury. And if he could, you know, he would have to develop something to where either he would try to, you know, either move with Tyson Fury or try to cut off the ring uh, from Tyson Fury, tie him up a little bit, try to work the body a little uh, to you know, work on his uh, overall endurance so that he could try to work on him a little bit more. Uh, in the later rounds, you know, mid-rounds, six, seven, eight, and then, you know, getting into nine and ten to see if, um, you know, Fury uh, kind of like tracks his overall production by then. Cause, and the other thing is, too, is that you also got to see what happens with Wilder as well as far as, like, if he's going to be able to, you know, keep up with, with those, uh, you know, with Fury in those later rounds as well. Um you know, it's gonna be you know, it's gonna be different here in this in this instance because he's not gonna be coming in there 
215 pounds. He's going to be coming in there 224, 225, maybe 230 um, against Tyson Fury. So, um, I mean, that's that's the other thing you got to, you know, be able to see there with uh, Deontay Wilder is if he's going to be able to get, you know, use that um, weight to try to see if he could either go after Tyson Fury early or see if he could conserve his energy and then go after him late. Yeah, no, you hit it on the head. Um, <clears throat> Wilder's definitely going to have to concern himself about his endurance, and that will be probably, again, what makes or break him. I, I believe that the, the beautiful thing about Deontay Wilder is that with him being dog-tired, with him <clears throat> mentally lapsing, um, because he's, he's dog-tired, he still can hurt people in round 12. From round one to round 12, with him being dog-tired, he still has the ability, he still has an equalizer. And uh, you hit it on the head in terms of the early rounds, Wilder going to just have to uh, practically, you know, fake jab and, and practically grab him and then just go to the body. You know, like, like yeah, sure, you could try to do the whole jabbing thing, but just just keep him still. Like, you know, obviously don't get touched while you're coming to him, but keep him still and hit him in the body. Pow, pow, one or two. And then, you know, make the, let the referee set you. And then, you know, do that for two, three rounds. And, you know, when you can, try to hit him, try to hit him. You know, like throw jabs and stuff. But when you get him in the corner or close to the corner, you got to kind of grab him. You know what I'm saying? Like keep him still. Like somehow make him be stationary and then hit him with two body shots, two or three body shots, well, two body shots. But, um... Yeah, that's that's how he gonna. In my opinion, that's the best route in the first few rounds, and then that, like you as you said, may pay dividends later on in the fight because I don't care who you are, anybody. Um, that's why the first Floyd fight with uh, Maidana was exciting. Outside of Floyd making it exciting, um, it's because Maidana went to the body, you know, and. Floyd had to reckon with that. I mean, anybody, anybody can hit anybody. They're going to slow down. Yeah, it, it it pretty much takes it takes something out of you, you know, regardless of, you know, who you're going up against. If you get hit in the body, that's, that's going to, you know, take its toll in the later rounds if it, you know, gets to the later rounds. Uh, so, I mean, that's something that we, you know, got to look into um, when, when, when that fight happens. But, and in the meantime, uh, you have, um, you know, Tyson Fury uh, out there planning to, you know, fight once again in September. Um, you know, they're looking at, you know, a couple of guys that he may possibly fight. Um, one of them may be uh, Kubrat Pulev uh, out there with the uh, number one contender uh, for the uh, IBF. Um, in the IBF rankings, uh, they you know have uh, another uh, possibility uh, out there, and that is um, <laughs> somebody uh, brought up uh, Jarrell Miller. Um, hopefully, that person will uh, join in uh, in this conversation uh, later on on the show. Uh, but uh, with uh, Jarrell Miller being uh, suspended about six months. Um, 
it would be pretty much around that time that he would be off the suspension. Unless uh, if they tested, if he tested positive in March, then uh, he would be off that suspension in September. Um, but you know, I, I just uh, you know don't see him or see Fury kind of like uh, facing uh, guys of that caliber, or at least not quite yet. Um, they probably have another uh, easy touch for him, maybe like a Sergey Kuzmin or um, you know somebody around that level uh, before he goes up against uh, one more uh, fighter. Because he said he wanted to fight uh, two times, two more times this year before going into the uh, fight with Deontay Wilder, which uh, they try to, which they're planning on, like. Between, um, what is it, like Super Bowl weekend and uh, March Madness or whatever uh, uh, Bob Arum said. So maybe it would be, you know, mid to late February uh, for this uh, particular fight. Um, I'm thinking it might be that first weekend of March that they may try to do the rematch. Um and of course, on the other side, you have uh, Deontay Wilder fighting Luis Ortiz. Uh, that's planned for September, so um, may end up being late September. Um, but for me, I mean, they they say that they're trying to build up uh, the uh, rematch between Tyson Fury and Tom Suarez. Um, I think I saw somewhere um, from I think it's uh, Mike Coppinger that. They had um, Bob Arum say that they wanted to. Uh, uh, he says that that rematch between uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury can top the 4.6 million pay-per-view buys that Mayweather and Pacquiao generated in 2015. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I, nah, I don't see that at all. <laughs> no, nowhere near, um, and it's it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit for you know this fight to kind of like build up to the uh, momentum that they want to have, particularly uh, with it being they want it to be like a joint pay per view, um, and with it being a joint pay per view on ESPN Plus and Showtime pay per view. That's a lot different than, you know, having it on HBO and Showtime uh, out there. So, uh, and with Tyson Fury having this particular fight where there was just, um, you know, what would I would say, about 6,000 paid tickets um, there at about 9,000 or so uh, people in attendance at the uh, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Um, I'm not sure, like, where they're going to generate enough interest to get that uh, amount of people that they want to get to make that a very successful uh, pay-per-view. Um, what, what did you think about like Tyson Fury's like approach to this card and how like how many people were interested in it? Because he tried to like build everything up. He had that introduction of uh, living in America, doing that whole James Brown, Rocky Four type of thing with Apollo Creed and all of that. Um, what did you think about that as far as like Fury's attempt to try to build interest into him? I mean, I think 
Fury is, is the guy. If you <clears throat> wanted a guy that has a very high potential for people to like based off of his background, based off of his circumstances in which he was born, based off of his personality, based off just random things. Titan Fury would be your guy. Based off on the story, redemption story, he would be your guy. I think that uh, I, I like the uh, ring entrance, and it showed, it showed more creativity than, <clears throat> well, some people don't even have that. I mean, he's obviously talented for him to be able to sing and, you know, the showmanship. Like, definitely, I think acting should be a part of his career at some point when, when boxing can no longer be a part of his career. And I'm pretty sure he'll still have his wits about himself because he hadn't really took a lot of punishment um, unless he fight Deontay Wilder again. But, um, yeah, I think I think that he has the ability to do that. Everybody can't do that. You know, let's say other uh, fighters coming down the ring, they got to have a rapper beside them. And, you know, that's fine. That's fine if that's what they want to do. But I think Tyson Fury is not the – prototypical person in that, you know, he he's a showman. And I mean, whoever told him to do that, you know, it was creative. Um you know, you gotta be creative to come up with theatrical stuff like that. Even though I mean it's it's a copy of, of Rocky, but um how I many who has done that who has done that in, in the last five five years or so, you know, not many people. So Everything is recreated, don't get me wrong, but I think, again, he's talented in that ability to captivate, you know, like you could tell he took drama classes and really enjoyed them in, in high school or middle school or whenever he took them. I like it. Um, his ability to capture audiences, I think he's very high. I think he's very high. I think he's a likable guy, and people will support him. Mm. Like, you don't think that, you know, kind of like the extra attention that, that, that he gets or that he's getting um, is kind of like uh, some type of, uh, you know, type of uh, favorite favoritism of sorts um, for him because, like, you, you have, like, a lot of people that have had, like, the same type of story that are, you know, here in the States but don't get – you know, that much, uh, you know, attention of sorts or whatnot, or, you know, that type of following or that type of backing from, like, say, an ESPN or, you know, other sporting outlets or sports, um, you know, sports magazines or those that cover cover the sport um, in comparison and know that there are, like, multiple guys that have had this same type of background or uh, something like that and don't get that same amount of attention. Yeah, quite naturally, it's, it's favoritism. Like I said, um, what I was saying, what I was saying is that he has the look, he has the he has the demographic. He he checks boxes that makes him very a very good fit to show favoritism to. He has the right demographic. He has a story you can tell. He has a mouthpiece. He has all these check boxes, and you know things that, that, you know, he had no control over, stuff he was born with, 
uh, he speaks the King's English, you know, like it's not manufactured English. It's, it's like righteous English. He, he yeah, I, I, of course it's favoritism. But again, he has all these check boxes, which, which why would somebody not favor him with all these advantages, you know, check boxes that people gravitate to and, and don't show negativity towards. If, if that's America, welcome, welcome to America. Well, yep, that's pretty much you know how you, how you can say it. Um, I mean, you kind of like you kind of like seeing how. I mean, for some people, they kind of like seeing how a lot of people kind of like gravitated towards Tyson Fury uh, a little bit last year. Um, in 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 what he was doing last year in the build up to his fight with Deontay Wilder, and that you know they kind of like he kind of seemed like they were siding with him uh, more than they were siding with uh, Deontay Wilder, um, and how you know things were built up in that particular instance, um, which you know kind of like shouldn't have been the case in 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 the instance that. You know, Deontay Wilder is the one that's, you know, from from America. He's the one that's been here. He's the one that had been the world champion since 2015 um, <clears throat> and, you know, had defended uh, that WBC title up until that particular point. And here comes Tyson Fury uh, while, you know, he had been uh, absent uh, since since uh, late 2015, he, he comes back. He has two fights in the interim, and then uh, he goes up against Deontay Wilder, and over the course of the promotion, uh, it's almost like he's basically, you know, taking over the promotion in that, you know, Wallace Wilder, that's supposed to be the guy that's on the front side of the promotion, it's almost like, you know, more people sided with Fury instead of Deontay Wilder in that case. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of like what, what we got, you know, off of that, and, uh, with the way that Fury kind of like made the, uh, the decisions, uh, that he did in order to be under a uh, top rank, um, and get the deal that he did under top rank. It's almost like, wow, he just, you know, has this, uh, long layoff. He had used drugs. He had went on an eating binge. He had drunk a lot. And he said he didn't want to fight anymore. Then he chooses to fight again, and he chooses to fight again, gets two fights, goes up against Deontay Wilder, gets a draw, and then gets a lucrative deal right off the bat. Um, while, you know, you already had somebody there that had, you know, worked, you know, pretty much like as many years as he did and didn't get the uh, type of attention that Tyson Fury got. Again, if you look at the things that make people likable based off superficial things and you compare Wilder to Fury, they are opposite spectrums of what the USA, US of A, the great US of A cares about. And, I mean, Wilder don't get enough credit for him having been the longest reigning heavyweight champion for him to have, you know, reigned long, longer and, and on par with, with like, record-setting 
title defenses. And, I mean, he getting it just do it. Everybody don't get it at the same time. Like, people have, like, Anthony Joshua has had a lot of help to get him to where he needs to be. The difference between him and Tyson Fury is that, sure, Tyson Fury is getting help now, but he's getting his help on the back end. Uh, Anthony Joshua had a lot of help on the front end, and you see what became of that. Person who never had to endure, never had to go through something, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's easier for them to crumble versus, let's say, a Tyson Fury. He'd have to go through something. And, sure, he's getting his favoritism on the back end, but nevertheless, I think he's going to walk with it and, you know, like ride into the sunset and, and ride, you know. Um think he'll appreciate it, too. <laughs> I still can't get over the thing about <laughs> what you're saying about uh, Anthony Joshua. Like, he, he has been giving the silver spoon pretty much since the beginning. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, you, you don't think so? Uh, I mean, it kind of. Like, but my thing is, is that you know, with with Deontay Wilder and, and and this comparison here with him and Tyson Fury, it's almost like they're kind of like going through the same things that they've been going through, you know, over the past few years or so. Like, say, with uh, guys like a uh, 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 Shane Mosley or Floyd Mayweather or or Pernell Whitaker, you know, whatever like that is, or, you know, like a, like a Bernard Hopkins or something like that. It's like, they don't make it to where you could gravitate towards uh, some, some people like them, but, you know, if it's like somebody else, like a Tyson Fury or, or a uh, Oscar de la Hoya or, you know, anybody else, then they make it easy for them, but they make it hard for, you know, other guys like Floyd, like Shane Mosley, like, like a, uh, Sean Porter or something like that, um, you know, for them to, you know, kind of like be a guy to follow. So you can't like necessarily be like a Sean Porter or like, uh, or actually like how Deontay Wilder was in this first couple of years um, when he was champ that, you know, they didn't really, you know, put a lot behind him like that, but, you know, when he kind of like changed up his, you know, changed up uh, what he, what he's saying or what he's doing and things like that in, in kind of like how he's talking, that kind of like goes through the same, kind of like goes through the same blueprint that they tried to do with uh, Floyd Mayweather or something like that. And so they're trying to make yeah. him kind of like be a guy that you want to see lose, which hasn't, it's not quite there yet. Um, with Deontay Wilder, but you kind of like see them trying to do that with Deontay Wilder. It's trying to see, show, uh, paint him as a guy that a lot of people would want to see him lose, uh, basically. Um, so and 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 they like have Tyson Fury on the other side, uh, basically having him be the you know overall or the proverbial good guy. Uh, so that's kind of like what we're uh, seeing here, or what they're trying to paint. Uh, with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Um, you also had the thing there on the undercard uh, with um, in the light heavyweight division, Sullivan Barrera against Jesse Hart. Uh, you know, Jesse Hart coming up from the um, super middleweight division to face Sullivan Barrera. 
Uh, of course, um, Jesse Hart had lost twice in uh, super middleweight title fights against Gabelto Ramirez. Um, and Sullivan Barrera was a uh, light heavyweight contender, uh, losing to you know the likes of Andre Ward and Dimitri Bivol. Um, right here, you know, it kind of like show. I mean, for me, it kind of like show uh, Sullivan Barrera being uh, a guy that was, you know, I would say like every bit of uh, 37 going up against Jesse Hart, who, you know, just seemed like the, you know, much younger and much hungrier guy there against Sullivan Barrera. And he got the unanimous decision over uh, Sullivan Barrera to, you know, get this win and move to 26 and two. And so that kind of like puts Jesse Hart um, very quickly up there in the light heavyweight rankings, uh, putting them there within the top 10. And, um, and that uh, he, kind of like uh, places his name there as like one guy that could contend for one of those light heavyweight titles um, out there. Um, But, you know, I just have to see uh, what happens there within the light heavyweight division. Um, Of course, with uh, Gavasek having the title of all, better be and Kovalev and all this talk about them trying to make a tournament of sorts to try to have an undisputed uh, light heavyweight champion. But, you know, I guess right now you could also put uh, Jesse Hart in the mix as someone who could uh, be within uh, those uh, top eight um, light heavyweights out there. But I don't think he could really, you know, I would say compete against those other guys that uh, currently hold a uh, title uh, there. And I, I, I wouldn't really see him uh, beating guys like a Elder Alvarez or a Marcus Brown um, there. So, uh, anything you got on that real quick, uh, Mike, before I add the uh, caller that just came on? Uh, I think, yeah, uh, he definitely made Sullivan Barrera look old. And, uh, yeah, Sullivan Barrera is definitely, uh, maybe he wasn't that good in the first place, but he's definitely a former shell of himself. Maybe it's the punishment he took. I don't know. I got to actually look at him since. <laughs> He fought Andre Ward and just see the the fall. Like you know, like he done fought quite a few people and has been battle tested. But I don't know, man. He just <laughs> he didn't look good at all. He looked okay yeah. I mean, at some he, point, but no, he, like he got go you know knocked out at the end of that fight uh, against Baval, and he did fight. You know, uh, Joe Smith Jr., who was a light heavyweight contender, and uh, Sean Monahan also, who, you know, had been kind of like floating around there at light heavyweight before getting uh, checked by uh, Marcus Brown. So uh, that's, you know, what you pretty much got uh, there as far as like uh, Sullivan Barrera's, um, his, uh, you know, um, resume, uh, so to speak. But, to, you know, kind of like get beat by Jesse Hart and, um, get pretty much like uh, beat the way that he did says that you know I don't you can't really see him being much of a competitor uh, there at the light heavyweight division uh, for that much longer uh, 646 is now on the boxing source radio show and, and since I kind of like um, forgot at first to introduce Mike Grady properly let me see if I could do it for this person here 
who is the president of the Deontay Wilder fan club since 2013. He has his membership card. If you want to see it, it's on his profile page. It's Matt from the Gloom Tomb. There's only one Tyson Fury. One Tyson Fury. Walking along, singing his song. Walking in a Fury Wonderland. Hey, JR, what's going on, man? Did you see the second best heavyweight in action last night? That was amazing. Great performance. Let me tell you something. I, I came out there and I came out Tom Swartz. And it was just an easy fight. I, I entertained yeah. the crowd. I came out there like Apollo Creed. I sang like Errol Smith to my wife. And I partied like it was 1999 in Vegas. You know what's the great thing about Fury's performance? He did exactly what I always say I like to see people do when they're in the ring with someone who doesn't belong in there with them. Right. And what exactly yep. they are, he got them the hell up out of there. <laughs> yep. Yo, and, and what's funny is that um, the general consensus when this fight was announced was that it was a garbage fight, but they said it was going to be Fury, you know, just dancing and boxing for, for 12 rounds. But... Fury, you know, the stories were coming out that he was sending his uh, sparring partner's phone uh, in a body bag, basically. So I'm like, hmm, maybe we're going to see a new and improved, more vicious Tyson Fury. That's what I thought we were going to see. I thought Fury was going to get Tom Schwartz the hell up out of there. And that's exactly what he did. So to me, this performance by Tyson Fury was a masterpiece. And it shows why he is the second best heavyweight in the world behind uh, WBC and People's Champion Deontay Wilder. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Fury's going to do next. The rumors are circulating that it might be pulling a uh, Big Baby Miller. We'll see what he does next. But he's on a collision course to rematch with Deontay Wilder after uh, Wilder got robbed of a victory by Jack Reese. So he's going to rematch with Wilder. <laughs> we're going to see We're gonna see what happens this time. And I don't think Tyson Fury is going to get up this time. What's up, J.R.? How you doing? <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, this thing with Tyson Fury, man, um, you know, I kind of like said it earlier. Um, yeah, he, he went on the head and he got this guy out of there. He busted up the guy's nose with an uppercut, almost, you know, made Tom Schwartz's nose look like, uh, I don't know, R, 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 an RB sandwich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, he had him looking like, uh, uh, do it, baby. Do the Humpty Dump. Uh, who's that guy? <laughs> 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 Yeah, it, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man, and and you know, you know, while uh, Tom Forrest did look like a little punching bag, he he still was like Tyson Fury was still able to you know get his punches right through the guard up Tom Forrest. So, um, 
you know, and 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 that's you know that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, he's supposed to you know easily take out guys like a Tom Sports and you know um, we'll we'll see what his uh, next uh, next thing is because yeah, both of those guys, uh, you know, Kubat Pulev and um, Big Baby Miller should be off the suspension by then. Uh, so you know he could you know face one of those guys. I, I just don't want to see him facing a guy like a Sergey Kuzmin in his, in his next fight. Oh God, no! That'll be horrible. Uh, <laughs> if it's Paul Miller, that'll be fine. But I heard you talking about the Jesse Hart fight with Sullivan Barrera, and basically where Jesse stands in the light heavyweight division. I think a little bit more of Jesse Hart than you do, apparently. Because I think he's going to be right up there with the top guys. I think Kovalev is fading. He's going into the sunset. The up-and-coming guys like Anthony Yard, not that good yet. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez, we saw that Jesse Hart gave him all he could handle in the rematch. Dimitri Bivol, he's not... Yeah, he's going to keep saying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Bosnick and Better BS, basically. As long as you could avoid them for a little while, I think Jesse Hart can make some noise at 175. I'd love to see him fight Elena Alvarez next. That was supposed yeah. to be the matchup that was supposed to take place. I think that would be a good measuring stick to see where both guys are at at this point yep. in their careers. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, particularly with, with Alvarez, you know, having that high of, you know, taking out Sergey Kovalev last August and then, you know, going into the rematch and not really performing not nearly as well as he did in the first fight against Sergey Kovalev uh, there. And so, you know, I, I kind of like see that being a better matchup there with uh, Jesse Hart because, I mean, I don't see – you know, they can't really put him in the ring against the Marcus Brown right now, so why not uh, see if they can uh, match him up with Elder Alvarez and see what, you know, he could do there at this uh, particular point um, since uh, we, we're we not necessarily sure how they're going to try that whole little world boxing super serious thing of sorts in the light heavyweight division that uh, they have been talking about over the past week, week and a half. I don't think that's really going to, you know, jump off like that. Um, you know, and before we got off, uh, me and uh, Mike Grady uh, talked at length about that uh, rematch that would, you know, probably that, that would be going on between Tyson Fury and um, Deontay Wilder. And that, you know, there's like a couple of things that, you know, we got to be, you know, looking out for on uh, both uh, instances, uh, you know, Mike Grady says that uh, Deontay Wilder will be like a little bit more patient uh, in trying to get to Tyson Fury, but you know, I, I mean, with but for me, I mean, Tyson Fury is a guy that's a lot more active with his hands and his feet. So, you know, how how much more patient can you get? I mean, I, I would say if you if I'm Deontay Wilder, I try to find a way to get after him early, uh, whether it's you know trying to you know, throw punches at him earlier, try to tie him up and muck him up and then get to the body, uh, wear him down a little bit in the early rounds and then see if his uh if if his uh, arms go down a little bit and then try to get it get it in with that right hand in. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um 
the strategy of being more patient is probably not good. I think Wilder was a little bit too patient and gave Tyson Fury a little bit too much respect in the first fight. I think if I'm Wilder, I'm going straight balls to the wall. I'm going right after this guy, and I'm trying to get him out of there and get him out of there early. And if I can't get him out of there early, like you said, do some body work because Tyson Fury likes to run and hide. Do some body work and, and, and get this guy slow moving and then get him out of there. And I think that's what Wilder's going to do, man. I predict that Deontay Wilder is going to knock out Tyson Fury in, in a way that's going to send Fury into retirement. Yeah, um, yeah, what are the things that... Now, I was going to uh, bring up uh, the, thing that, the, the thing that I was uh, saying earlier was that you know, you can't necessarily, like Wilder couldn't necessarily fight Fury the same way that he fought Ortiz last year. Because, you know, with Ortiz, he was able to test, you know, he was able to establish his range early and leave his, you know, lead hand out there to keep Ortiz at bay so that Ortiz wouldn't be able to touch him within those first three rounds or so. And then, you know, try to catch him while Ortiz was coming in. In the first three rounds against Fury, you really couldn't do that because you couldn't really get, you couldn't really establish range when you threw out your jab. You couldn't necessarily reach uh, Tyson Fury well, and you know, in the as a comparison, Fury was able to reach you already. So, like I was saying, I was like, "Yo, you're gonna have to, you know, go at him a different way," and 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 you know, as. Y'all kind of uh, bring up with Deontay Wilder. I would say try to bring up some of that athleticism that he's supposed to have and try to get around those punches and get to the inside of uh, Tyson Fury and up a little bit uh, there early to get to his body and then uh, go go up top after that. Well, you saw um, Deontay Wilder doing a little bit uh, of, of body work in his last fight against Dominic Brazil, as short as it lasted, you saw Wilder go to the body with Brazil, and it actually made Brazil drop his hand just a little bit lower. And I think that's really what set up the right hand that put Brazil down and out. So I think if Wilder really starts committing to the body like it seems like he is, I think he's going to be very hard to beat. Well, the thing with Brazil yeah. is Brazil is softer than softer than the uh, the uh, <laughs> Pillsbury dope boy, and so tried. So Brazil tried to get him with the with the right hand, and he was a little bit slow with it. And uh, Brazil, but um, Tyson Fury, I think he's just going to. Be the same guy that he's always been. Move around uh, with his uh, head and move around with his feet a lot and try to, you know, get get um, Deontay Wilder to kind of like think a little bit or or think uh, a little bit more. Um, but if uh, Tyson Fury tries to do the same thing that he did against uh, Latimer Klitschko, then Deontay Wilder should make him pay for that and just try to get him in the. 
uh, so that he, you know, either, you know, make Tyson Fury think twice about trying to go inside and try to tie him up or, you know, try to make it a uh, bad fight as far as, like, uh, fighting from a distance or things like that. So that's why I get out of it. Uh, Mike, you wanted to add something on it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> when I say patient, I'm saying in terms of, so if you go back and watch the Wilder Fury 1, when Wilder was throwing his 1, 2, and 3, or even 1 and 2, he was throwing it at, at such a pace to where it looked like he was straining himself, like straining to throw it hard and throw it fast. And so what Fury would do, Fury would see all of the tension, all of the, you know, you could see that he was about to throw it, and so Wilder was throwing it so fast that every time he would throw it right over Fury's head, Fury would duck and he would throw it over Fury's head. Um, I'm saying patience in terms of when he throws, like, I, I disagree with whoever said that the lead hand wouldn't work against Fury. Sure, it wouldn't work in round one or two, but if he continues to do that, that helps him find his range a lot better. If he does that, that's going to make Tyson Fury have to think more. Tyson Fury ain't going to be doing all that, you know, ducking down, ducking to the left, ducking all this with your way because <clears throat> he, <clears throat> Wilder is going to seem so much closer if his hand is out right in front of uh, Fury. And so it's just a measuring stick. It's a measuring stick, and, and Fury won't know when it is a measuring stick. He won't know when it's a jab and then the two coming right behind it. Like, it's going to make Fury be slower with what he's doing. And so also what it'll do, Fury has a tendency when punches are being thrown at him. His first step is to always go back on his back foot or he'll lean on his back right foot. And his second step is to lean down into the right, to, to block down a level and lean to the right. If Wilder uses his, his front hand dominant and he does either faint or something to, to lead Fury to think that that, that, that left hand is coming, Fury's going to make them two motions, and, and Wilder can, can then do his double jab, do the, do the, do the faint left hand, do a real jab, and then throw his right hand in the spot that Fury goes into. When I'm saying more patient, patient in not smothering himself with the punches that he's throwing. Sure, the first few rounds, the way Wilder stays uh, adequate in those first rounds is Tyson Fury's going to be moving, moving, moving. Uh, Wilder needs to, whenever Fury gets to the corner, Wilder needs to do that little whole, you know, front hand dominance when he jabs. And then when Fury gets close to a corner, Wilder needs to, uh, you know, avoid in touch, right, and then stop him in the corner and then do one or two body shots. Like some way, somehow, he needs to either hold him and then make sure Fury stops and then one, two, and then let the, let the ref, like, break them up. That's what Wilder needs to do for the first two rounds. Front hand dominance. One or two shots to the body, let the rough break him up, and then continue that. And then after that, once he starts doing the front hand dominance and, and stuff, he gonna touch Fury a lot sooner than what he did in the other fight. That's what I'm saying. Well, uh, I mean, my thing is that you know there were a couple of times where you know I kind of like seeing Wilder mix up his punches a little bit, in that he would throw like a few more hooks. Um, you know, incorporate a few more hooks in in his uh, repertoire, but I need to see him like kind of like try to fake 
uh, what he's going to throw. Like, instead of, like, throwing out a jab, like, try to, like, throw it, kind of like throw it as a jab, but let it end up as a hook or something like that to give another angle uh, to land on Tyson Fury uh, so that, you know, Tyson Fury could, you know, either think that it's coming straight at him, but it's not going to be coming straight at him. It's going to be coming, you know, around the pipe. Um and kind of like hit him at the side of the head instead of like hitting him, you know, in the front of his face. Uh, so, you know, I kind of like would want to see if uh, Wilder kind of like incorporates that into his offense uh, that'll, you know, make him have a different type of result there against Tyson Fury uh, there in, in that fight that they have against each other. Guess what makes that more possible, though? Him putting that front hand out in front because then Fury won't know if it is a straight jab, or he won't know if it's a hooking jab. You know, Wilder has to put that hand out in front of him to make Fury think and make Fury be slower. Otherwise, it's going to be a very similar fight to the last fight. Mm, I, I I don't know if he, if he wants to do that, though, because, you know, like I was saying, with, with uh, Fury having a longer reach, if you, if you kind of, like, put that, if, he, if Wilder puts that lead hand out there, he's kind of, like, giving it away as far as, like, what his range is going to be. And Tyson Fury, all he has to do is just, you know, have be one or two steps behind that, throw his jab out, and then see, you know, how, how that uh, gets to uh, Wilder before Wilder does something else, either with his left hand or tries to come around with his right hand. So, you know, that's why I get off of that. Um uh, for those listening in live, you can call in 347-237-5539 if you want to get in on the boxing talk. Uh, Matt, you had anything else before um, we try to, well, we try to, like, get to the next thing, but uh, we might have something, uh, somebody else coming up here in a bit. Nope, nothing else, man. Why the KO1? Let's get it. <laughs> Oh, man, I should have known that was coming. Uh, 813 is live on the Boxing Source Radio Show. What's good, man? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Terrell calling from the Tampa. Just trying to check in and see what's really going on. All right? Yo, 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 what's good? What's good? What's up, Terrell? What up, what up, what up? Yeah, I'm glad to talk about some stuff. Uh, Particularly, I don't know if you guys addressed it. Uh, in regards to, like, uh, we already know what, uh, real briefly, what uh, Fury came and got so bullshit win last night against Schwartz, who gave little to no resistance, who should have been in the ring with him to begin with, uh, in regards to fighting the, the lineal heavyweight champion. I'm sure you guys already covered this, but I just want to give out two cents about it, but uh, just that that's just a whole farce. And, and really, the, the, the main thing I want to play up with is the fact that there's so many media networks are picking Fury up and just kind of annoying him as the, the next best thing. Uh, even uh, outrageous comments by Bob Hare himself comparing him to Muhammad Ali, which is outrageous <laughs> and, and a sin for, for, for boxing. It's just, uh, just really, you, you look at it, this what it is, Fury is white. Uh, like Mike said, he speaks the King's English, which I don't give a shit about. <laughs> you guys know, know I'm on the crew, but really just uh, just really obsess me. But it just digs to what this country is, the lack of values, the lack of, lack of uh, respect for uh, people of color, things like that, our accomplishments. But this, this, this guy to come here and be embraced by this country and getting pushed by a good network.
uh, I mean, Greg, Greg it, it, and bottom line, boxing is a business. And ESPN, they made this flash with the screen to screen platform, so they're they going to need some front runners to, to carry that flag for them. And Fury is definitely doing that for them. And uh, they have a major network, they have a, a huge audience. And from that point, they got this guy up front waving flags, kissing babies, uh, just to just, just, uh, make a comparison. Uh, and, and pushing them at the top once again to a many heavyweight champion, which is ridiculous. And once again, uh, the fact that this guy was a, a drug user, uh, homicidal rant, things like that. And we all know that if, if there was someone else that did this and that person was of color, they would, be, they would get killed for it in this day and age of social media, things like that. And whereas now, it's like he's been celebrated. And it's just ridiculous. And it's, and it's just kind of sick. But once again, this is the country that we live in. So it's all about what team you have behind you and what, what narrative they're, what they're pushing out there for you, things like that. But just, you know, I'll let you guys speak back to it after that. Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of like see how you could compare, like, how uh, Bob M kind of like gets behind uh, Tyson Fury in comparison to, you know, maybe like a, a, a Terrence Crawford <clears throat> and how you would have somebody like Terrence Crawford who's, you know, been under your promotion for, you know, multiple years while, you know, Tyson Fury has just only been there for, what, it's been five months or so, and you you give all, all of this towards Tyson Fury, but you're not able to do the same against, like, uh, or with the likes of a Terrence Crawford. And, and so that, you know, kind of, like, brings up a lot of criticism on um, Bob Aaron's part. But, I mean, that's Bob Aaron at top rank for you. He's, you know, done that, you know, for many, many years. So, you know, kind of like that's what I, you know, basically get out of get out of him. So um, I'm not really surprised on, you know, what uh, Bob Aram does in that instance. Uh, it's just that, you know, this is kind of like boxing on uh, on that front from uh, Bob Aram uh, in, in, in that instance for me, or at least that's, you know, what I kind of like to say on that. Um, Man, y'all are goddamn haters. Listen, y'all need to show some damn respect for the white Muhammad Ali, okay? Leave Tyson Fury alone. He is the Gypsy King. I love that Tyson Fury is getting pushed to the moon, and he's getting pumped up. He's being mentioned with the greats. And you know why I love it? Because the first quarter of 2020, Deontay Wilder is knocking his ass out. So... That is going to basically mean that Deontay Wilder will be classified as the GOAT, like I've been telling JR for years now. I'm telling you, pump up Tyson Fury all you want. He's better than Ali. He's better than Joe Lewis. He's better than Klitschko, Tyson, all of them, all of those doctors. Tyson Fury is the greatest heavyweight of all time until the first quarter of 2020 when Deontay Wilder lays the right hand of God on him. And puts them out permanently. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly concur. I certainly hope it happens. Just, just that emphatically. I don't care what round, as long as that happens. It's like, of course, with uh, like with Fury, uh, Aaron saying that he's probably going to fight another time this year. Cool, whatever. It, it don't even matter because for one, whoever Fury fights again this year, 
they won't be of uh, any high rank at all, and probably going to be another taxi cab driver. So it doesn't matter. They're just simply trying to keep Fury Fury active and keep him in front of the American people and have him act the fool at these offices, offices just uh, generate that, that interest in him. And as we know, uh, all these media outlets are covering him, and they're going to continue to cover him. And, I mean, bottom line, they're trying to push up the uh, exposure for the, for the Wilder fight. So I get it, but it's like, like I said, just it's just kind of sad to see all these people giving him that push. But you know what? But Wilder take care of business against Ortiz, whenever they fight, I think it's September, whatever it's going to be. But on top of that, please, Wilder, <laughs> get your skills up, man. Get your skills up. Stop looking for the knockout when, it, when the fight does happen. Get some boxing skills in somehow, some way, uh, even though I doubt it's going to happen from that point. But watch that fight again from the uh, Fury Wilder 1. Do what you got to do. Do your homework and knock him out. Period. That's what we all want. It's it's, uh, it's all been set up perfect for him. For him. So, hope you will see that. So, I don't think well, we all I, want that. Let's question James's. Uh, let's question James on if he wants that. You know what? James. Who, who did, hey, hey, Matt, hey, hey, Matt. Who who did I pick for Wilder Fury one? Uh, I believe um you picked uh, Fury K O one. Nah, all right, you picked Wilder. <laughs> yeah, you picked Wilder. You, you, you did pick Wilder. I'll give you that. You did pick Wilder. Nah, he picked Wilder. I, I'll give him. <laughs> now I'm going with your first man. The first answer is always the right. <laughs> Uh, Wilder should be able to get 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 Fury again, man. I mean, like my my thing is is that if Wilder is the now here here's the thing um, that I bring up with uh, Wilder and Fury, right? Now, one of the things that uh, Matt said in the last in the last uh, episode in reference to Deontay Wilder. <clears throat> Is that Wilder had you know all of these you know fights or whatever it is that kind of like supposed to be build up his you know experience whatnot so he was able to get to you know thirty three fights or you know thirty seven or forty fights, but Tyson Fury didn't necessarily get up to that particular point before he got to his uh, shot in uh, twenty fifteen, so he has less fights. Uh, on his record, much less fights on his record. So in, in that comparison, Deontay Wilder should have that amount of backing and that amount of experience or, you know, whatever it is to go up against someone like a Tyson Fury and be able to be the guy like a Tyson Fury, if that's the case. So in this rematch, we should be able to see the amount of experience that Deontay Wilder has against Tyson Fury and be able to make all of the adjustments that, you know, he supposedly has and uh, beat uh, Tyson Fury uh, in this uh, particular case. So that's what, you know, that's what we should be able to see in a rematch uh, there uh, when it it comes up is that Deontay Wilder is supposed to be able to handle his business and, um, be able to defeat Tyson Fury in the rematch, and it shouldn't be uh, anything different. 
if it's, if 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 Wilder is supposed to be the guy that has those forty one or forty two fights of experience, then he should be able to defeat Tyson Fury uh, in this in this uh, next thing uh, here. Um, wanted to uh, get get in this uh, thing here with the World Boxing Super Series uh, semifinals. Uh, we did uh, talk about it last week. Um, as far as like the uh, cruiserweight semifinals, you had Unier Dorticos against Andrew Tabidi, and you had uh, also Maris Brightis uh, going up against uh, his uh, <clears throat> you know opponent there, Christoph Polacki. And uh, you know when the uh, first uh, particular matchup with uh, Andrew Tabidi and Unier Dorticos, uh, you had. You know, to be out there, uh, pretty much uh, giving giving Dorticos a little bit, you know, a little bit of trouble out there. But uh, eventually, Dorticos still was uh, patient, um, <clears throat> was still throwing, you know, a few jabs and and getting uh, to be a little bit tired there in the uh, eighth and ninth rounds or so. And you saw to be getting a little bit gassed. Uh, he had. His hands getting a little bit lower and lower, and I kind of like saw that. I'm like, well, uh, hold on there. You you see, uh, Tabidi's hands getting lower. That might uh end up costing him later on. And then you had Dorticos go on ahead there, and then throw that right hand right in the square of Tabidi's face, and had him out for the night. And that was it. Uh, therefore, Andrew Tabi and Unier Dorticos scores that KO win, basically uh, giving the KO doctor uh, that win to put himself uh, out there <clears throat> in the uh, finals of that uh, Cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series uh, there. So uh, I'm going to uh, give it to or hand it off to uh, Matt, to kind of like uh, talk about the KO doctor and <laughs> and his win. Yo, Jr. That was a crazy knockout. Oh shit! <laughs> Unia Dorcos did exactly what he's supposed to do. He got him out of there. Shabidi tried to hold. He tried to, yeah, yeah. Oh, it fell. Chabidi, uh tried to hold, as usual. That's what he does. That's what he did in his last fight. I thought he was supposed to have some sort of boxing skill, but clearly he doesn't. He's a holder, simple fighter, hands low. Chabidi, uh just kept his hands low the whole fight, and Dorticos caught up with him, man. He got a little space, did his little simple one-two combination. The prescription was wrote. The KO doctor recommended sleep, and that's what he gave to that boy. Gave him some work. Yep, and, and there you go. That's what you, you know, basically had there in, in that particular uh, in that particular matchup. And so you got uh, Dorticos uh, moving into the uh, final of that World Boxing Super Series uh, out there. Um, any quick thoughts uh, there from uh, Michael Terrell on uh, Dorticos getting a win over Tabidi and um, how that kind of like um, – Puts another dip into uh, the uh, Mayweather box for the uh, roster that they have uh, there under uh, TMT. 
I mean, you know, that's I'm just happy to hear some knockouts. So I just like that knockout. Like, and I mean, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty devastating. I don't think it was better than Deontay Wilder knockout, but I mean, it's definitely a pretty, pretty bad knockout. Um, I don't know the the, the TMT stable fighters, man. It's something, something, something's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like they, it, they seem like they're missing something. I don't know. Maybe preparation. Who knows? Like I get it. They be in the doghouse and be fighting, but you know you kind of gotta work on the fine tuned skills and stuff. And I just question outside of maybe two or three. And and I apologize if I'm over generalizing here because um, I'm sure they have great fighters in the stable. But yeah, man. Outside of two or three fighters, people just be getting beaten. They be getting knocked out too. TMT fighters, a couple of them, few yeah. of them, ones I see at least. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, like seeing out of most of those guys. Yeah, that's what you know, I, I didn't uh, see those fights, but it's just interesting to see the movement uh, post usage. And, and just listen to the fact that uh, you should beat uh, a few of these guys already and just, and just saying once again, seeing the movements between those two students to say who can get back to that position of being number one at the weight class. So that's really all I got on it. All right. So <clears throat> now uh, we got the uh, main event that uh, happened there in the <laughs> in the um, fight. Uh, car there in uh, Latvia, and um, it was Thurs Brightest against Christoph Gwaki. Um, you know this fight here, you had like a lot of sketchiness going on. Uh, you know, leading into the fight, you know they had uh, Gwaki there as the uh, WBO uh, champion. And then uh, they added, well, at first, they had added the WBC um, belt to be on there, but uh, kind of like found that to be uh, weird because um, neither one of those guys were in the uh, WBC ranking in the top 15. So it's like, how could you, um, you know, have uh, both of those guys uh, be in there? Uh, for that WBC belt, even though um, you had a Maris Bridis as the um, WBC Diamond Champion, uh, who, you know, he had won it uh, in his previous fight against Noel Devor. So um, you had uh, you had Bridis as that Diamond Champion, Lowaki as the uh, WBO Champ, and you know, kind of like seeing this as a, uh, as a, um, you know, toss up fight of sorts. Um, but <laughs> it, it had like a little bit of action there in the first round. And then you had the second round that, uh, was so, you know, sketchy and, and all of that. And you had the bell, you know, the bell ringing was a big issue. Uh, they had 
They had, uh, of course, uh, the thing with Maris Brightis catching Gowacki with a uh, elbow right to the jaw, and Gowacki just went down. And originally they had uh, <laughs> they had scored it as a knockdown, uh, but then afterwards they had just ended up taking a point from Brightis. And then, of course, the whole thing with the bell that rung and those guys were still fighting and Robert Byrd allowed him to keep fighting and and Brightest knocked him down once again. And then uh, it just uh, ended up with uh, Brightest getting a TKO win in the third round. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, Gwalaki's team is going to be uh, complaining about this uh, for sure. They had immediately left the ring after uh, the result had came down. Uh, but, you know, now they had uh, Maris Brightest. Uh, currently, he'll be going up to the World Boxing Super Series final against Junia Dordakov. Um, but this was, yeah, this was just a whole mess. A complete and utter uh, mess. Uh, out there, so um, you know that's what we had basically got out of that. Uh, I'm sure that Matt has a lot to say about this particular fight, as uh, you know, Maris Bradis came through with a spinning elbow, uh, like he like he was in a WWE wrestling ring or something like that uh, on Glowacki, and of course. If uh, y'all look into who was behind uh, this fight, not only was uh, Robert Byrd a referee in this particular fight, but uh, Adelaide Byrd was also a judge, so that couldn't have been uh, very good for um, Christoph Glowacki in this case. But, uh, uh, Matt, who would you got to say on it? Okay. First of all, I want to read a statement from WBC President Mauricio Suleiman yesterday as we woke up to the news that the WBC was, was pulling their sanction from this fight. It said the WBC withdraws the sanctioning of the Briatis versus Lowacki fight. The administrators of the World Boxing Super Series Tournament have failed to maintain the integrity of the bout and have disregarded the WBC rules and regulations the WBC strongly rejects the unfortunate discrimination and abuse of power that has been directed against the integrity, integrity of our institution. The WBC will evaluate its continuing participation in the remaining WBSS bouts in season two and will announce its decision soon. Now, this is very important because guys of your ilk, JR. When the WBC mentions integrity, you guys laugh, okay, because you think the WBC lacks integrity. But I think that you guys lack understanding that there is a difference between being imperfect and being corrupt. And what we saw yesterday on behalf of the WBSS and the WBO was corruption at its core, okay? You said it was Briatis versus Glowacki. No. It was Glowacki versus Briatis, Robert Bird, Adelaide Bird, 
Paco, whatever his last name is from the WBO, and the Latvian Boxing Commission. Because what you saw was this guy get railroaded and have his title stolen from him. Stolen from him. And it's a damn shame that all the WBO president could muster up to say was congratulations to Marius Briatis. And then the WBO president, Paco Valcarcel, had the nerve to release a statement taking a pop at the WBC. He said, and I quote, he said, that thing about not getting what I want, I'll take my toys away. I could care less. Tyranny and arrogance no longer have any place in boxing. Well, you know what, Mr. Paco? You should be looking in the mirror when you make that statement because what happened yesterday was disgusting, and if this decision is not overturned, it should be either a disqualification in favor of Glowacki or it should be deemed a no contest. And if that does not happen, then I don't want to hear anyone screaming about corruption from the WBC or any other boxing organization. Now, some people say that Adelaide Bird has been allowed to work WBC events. That's true, but that wasn't the WBC's choice. That's the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Anyone that follows boxing knows that the Nevada State Athletic Commission chooses their own judges, referees. Basically, all the officials are chosen by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. But guess what? This fight yesterday wasn't in Nevada. It was in Latvia, which means that the WBO chose Adelaide Bird to judge this fight. The WBO chose to have her husband, Robert Bird, referee the same fight that his wife was judging, okay? This guy, Mary's greatest, has had a horseshoe up his ass this entire tournament. In his last fight, he only won two rounds of that fight and was gifted a decision. Gifted a decision. And then in this fight, he gets away with an intentional elbow that knocked the man down. I've never seen a referee scrape a fighter off the canvas. Hey, get up, man. Get up. I just got elbowed in my motherfucking face. Can I be hurt for a second? And Robert Bird was looking right at it. It's not as if his back was turned. He was looking right at it, and somehow he, quote, unquote, missed it. I don't think he missed it at all. I think that he knew where he was at. He was in Latvia, and he knew what he was charged to do. Make sure you do everything to get Briatus a hometown decision. And that's what we saw last night. And I'm disgusted. I, I told you about the WBSS after they tried to pull that crap and steal Ivan Barantic's IBF title when they didn't pay the fighters on time. I told you I would not support this crap. And yesterday was reason number 5,000 why I cannot support the World Boxing Super Series. It is corrupt, and, and fans don't care about it. And that's a damn shame because if this happened on American soil, if this was Deontay Wilder, if this was a, a, a PBC fighter, 
if this was, God forbid, Canelo Alvarez, you would not hear the end of it. But you're hearing nothing of this, and I think it's a damn shame. I kind of like find it interesting that you were talking about this whole thing in reference to um, corruption or whatever it is uh, with thing with uh, the WBC and WBO and all of that. When, if I'm not mistaken, I thought that I saw a post from you earlier today in reference to the presidents of the WBC, WBO, WBA, and IBF. Uh, coming together um, to try to, you know, get things done as far as, like, unifications are concerned. If I'm not mistaken, did that uh, happen uh, here, like, earlier today? Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, I think that you, you had it on this supposed um, thing called the rumor report. Uh, is that true or false? Hey, JR, I'm not here to talk about the past. All right? Let's talk about... <laughs> What needs to happen going forward? The WBO needs to step up and do the right thing. Okay, they need to give Rowacki his title back. Uh, uh, now he was uh, placed as the. If uh, hopefully the WBO is still current with their things, um. They have said that they made this for that WBO Cruiserweight title when, um, at the time, Chris Kowalski was the interim champ. Um, but now yeah, they, they had elevated, elevated it to full, full, yeah. Yeah, full champion. So now <laughs> they have Maris Brightest as the, uh, as the WBO champion. And we'll see what happens with the... Uh, with the uh, complaints that uh, come down and what the decision will be from Paco Velpachel in reference to all of that. Or they can just go ahead and make make uh, Maris Bradis the full champion so we could, you know, end up getting knocked out by Uniel Dortico. Unless they have to fight over it and make a once again. <laughs> <laughs> He'll try to have that fight Latvia once again and then uh Dortikos will be like, Oh no, no, no. I see what you I see what you did with Gowaki. I'm not gonna go through that. Ooh, buddy. You know, the bad so, thing about it for Gowaki is he can appeal, but who's he appealing to? Latvia? You think they're gonna go against Friday? <laughs> like who's he appealing to? <laughs> like who's he gonna appeal to? <laughs> like who like you can't like who's the you know, the WBO? I mean like who you gonna you gonna complain to Paco or something? You know, <laughs> you know that's what you basically Ridiculous, got out man. of that. You know, so that you know that's kind of like, uh, that was just so crazy right there, man. It's like, uh, <sighs> yeah, I feel I feel bad for Gawaki, man. But I mean, come on, man. Like this, this is how, how you set the, set set him up. Uh, for this particular fight, man, it's like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> any any other comments on this fight uh, before I like uh, like go into that final? A uh, real quick, one quick question for Matt: What's worse, uh, an elbow, a blatant elbow, or somebody biting a piece of your ear off? What's worse? 
Um, I'd say a, a blatant elbows burst. Because at least somebody buy the piece of your ear off. You know, eventually they could reattach it. But <laughs> this guy was separated from his senses. And at least when Holyfield got his ear bitten off, he was granted the DQ victory. This guy got elbowed to the face, beat up after the bell, and lost his belt. <laughs> yeah, it it really doesn't get too much worse than, than that. That's that's just a bad night for anybody. And then just a just a, the performance by the referee Robert Bird for not him to, to just really respond and, and realize and be aware of what's going on and react to that is just and like I said when you asked I detailed it, the fact that people, judges were set in place and looking for a certain result. It just it's just comical and once again Corrupt as we've seen time and time again uh, by the sanctioned bodies. I'm not sure which one's worse. I think, uh, probably the WC historically is probably the worst one, but this is simply adds on to their their resume. Uh, I don't know, man. I think I think this may end up being it'll it'll end up being like one of the worst ones out there, man. I mean, like he had led a lot worse than that referee that. Uh, that was in that uh, Timothy Bradley uh, Vargas fight <laughs> that ended the fight <laughs> ten seconds early. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man! Like, you heard the thing going on for like how many times? It was like, ding, 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 ding. I'm like, you, you deaf or something? I'm like, come on, man! I'm like, that was just, <laughs> yeah, that was just horrible, man. He probably um, saw his wife ringing the bell and just wanted to tune her out like they were at home. He's like, oh, just, <laughs> like what? Yeah. What does she want now? <laughs> yeah, like, what is it now? I'm like, gosh, I'm like, I'm trying to do something here. You know what I'm saying? Like, jeez, oh boy. <laughs> um, and that's you know, only thing else that was out there was the uh, IBF uh, featherweight title fight um, between. Josh Warrington and Kit Galahad, and I know Matt <laughs> thinks that this is another plain robbery here. Uh, <laughs> he had Josh Warrington. He he was doing some things, and Kit Galahad was just there throwing one or two punches at a time. I didn't think it was a really aesthetically pleasing fight, to be honest, man. I mean, they... It was, it was just not really a good look, uh, but uh, you had Josh Warrington get a split decision, one score of 116-112, and another score of 116-113. I want to know where that 10-10 round was at. And then uh, one judge, Howard Foster, scored at 115-113 for Kit Galahad. Uh, so, I mean, it was in lead, so, I mean, that's, you know, where Josh Warrington is from, so he had his uh, his uh, second hometown fight of sorts uh, right there, and his second split decision win um, in in, the, in pretty much that same area. Uh, so um, I guess whoever fights him from now on needs to not fight him over in Leeds because uh, you're not gonna get a decision in Leeds against Josh Warrington. <laughs> Oh man, but I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all know what I say about uh, you know, um, Warrington man. He he ain't 
he ain't really all too impressive as far as I'm concerned. Uh, in reference to the featherweight division, now, many of those of the guys there at featherweight uh, should be able to you know beat him. So I kind of like not really give him that much uh, you know that much um, praise or whatnot. Uh, so it's only a matter of time before you know he gets you know beat by one of those uh, other top guys out there. Um, so he'll hold that title as long as he could possibly have it. So that's why I, that's why that's how I feel about him. Man, it was crazy. I saw Baffert kid Galahad. The only thing that was redeeming about this fight was that kid Galahad's an Eddie Hearn fighter. And every time Eddie Hearn loses, I feel like I win. So that was basically the only thing that good that came out of it. You know. But it was crazy man. I scored it one sixteen to one twelve for Kid Galahad. I thought I was even being generous then. It was very hard to give warrants in any rounds. I just think that people don't care about it because the fight wasn't exciting and it wasn't exciting because of Kid Galahad. So when you see uh, someone basically be the John Ruiz of the featherweight division get screwed over, you don't really care that much. But he, he was horrible. It was a horrible fight, but Kid Galahad, I think, was the rightful victor, and I think that uh, he got a job basically in Leeds. Yeah, it's basically you know what I got out of that uh, there. So, um, you know, they pretty much like covers most of the action from you know yesterday. Um, just looking forward to you know what's uh, coming up next week. Uh, you got uh, the thing there the, with uh, the return of El Chacal, Guillermo Rigondeaux against Julio Ceja. Um, over in the Mandalay Bay Resort. <laughs> They're making that the main event on Fox uh, on Sunday, June 23rd. So we're probably going to be uh, covering that uh, live, uh, while we're on in the show. No, we're not. Uh, make- <laughs> <laughs> no, the fuck we not. Who gives a damn about that card? <laughs> On the twenty third, man. Come on, listen. Hey, man. Nah, I gotta look, man. I gotta, I gotta look. I'm gonna be counting how many people are actually gonna show up for that particular fight. <laughs> listen, 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 look. Y'all talking about this whole thing with Tyson Fury having about six thousand tickets sold? Let me see if they have six hundred tickets sold for this particular thing. <laughs> this is this is supposed to be at the Mandalay Bay? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? I mean, remember I had already, I had already, I had already like pretty much blasted this card for having a Charlo when it was supposed to be Charlo Harrison for you know a rematch. Now that Harrison's not in the fight, and he's going, <laughs> Charlo's going up against Jorge Cota. I'm like, oh come on, man! Like, <laughs> yo, this is gonna be really bad, man. Like, nah, man. I, <laughs> like well, how could they they could have at least this is why I said they could have at least had these guys fight over in Houston, but no, they didn't want to do that. Like, come on, man. Like, jeez. And then and then they trying to make this whole thing with uh Rigginow and Seha be some type of main event when 
say how basically got stopped in his previous fight. I'm like, oh man, this is. <laughs> 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 oh, like, could we like y'all could have done better than this or something like that. Um, other thing is, I gotta see uh, what's up with um, if they're uh, going forward with that thing with the rematch between Cancio and Machado. That's yeah. gonna be happening on Friday. So that's also a fight that I'm kinda of like looking out for with um that because uh of course you had uh Cancio stop uh, Machado uh in, in the uh, fourth round in the last fight. So kinda of like looking forward to see what happens here in the rematch for that uh super featherweight championship uh there between those two guys. So that's uh, one thing that I am uh looking forward to in in uh, that matchup, but kind of like is uh, going into, you know, what we have uh, in the early uh, summer months. Uh, so uh, that kind of like starts things off uh, here in the summer. A uh, few other fights that I'm looking looking into is that Richard Comey versus a Ray Beltran fight that's going to be on the 28th. Uh, you got, of course, uh, Andres Lecky on the 29th, Charlo against Adams on the 29th. Uh, so that's what we got uh, out there so far um, in the uh, sport. So, um, and then also, yeah, he had a question. Has there been any solid uh, more news in regards to uh, Danny Garcia fighting uh, what's called Garcia? Mikey Garcia. Yeah, I haven't seen nothing solid yet. For me, I mean, I don't see it as like what finalized, finalized yet. But you know, a lot of people are you know talking about it like it's going to be a lot. Um, I uh, I don't really you know I'm not really that. Interested? That completely interested in it. Uh, have to see what the uh, actual date of that fight was going to be for it. Um, but they're, you know, trying to push it as like a main event. Uh, I guess it's going to be, you know, kind of like the whole thing with the Mexico versus Puerto Rico thing. Uh, but I think it's because, um, you know, kind of like seeing Mikey Garcia. I guess he wants to. You know, stay there around that um, welterweight division um, because that's where you know everybody is at. So, you know, him going up against Danny Garcia—that's kind of like uh, for any of those guys that are available out there. That's probably like the highest-profile guy that he could basically get. Since uh, you have uh, Manny Pacquiao going against Keith Thurman, and uh, the thing with uh, Errol Spence Jr. Uh, still, you know, up in the air if he's gonna face Sean Porter, if he's going to face uh, Terrence Crawford, and you know, as far as, like, today is concerned, it's kind of, like, leaning more towards the side of Terrence Crawford, so I mean, who knows, um, you know, what else is out there in the welterweight division, so Mike Garcia is like, look, hey, if I want to, you know, still try to establish myself as a name out there in the sport of boxing, where else to be than in the uh, welterweight division, and uh, in order for him to stay relevant, then he has to face the likes of a Danny Garcia uh, out there. And in addition to that, uh, real quick, 
is the money that much better at welterweight for, for Mikey Garcia than it is at 135? And then, say for example, he does go ahead and fight Danny Garcia, right? And he just fights, but I love Mikey Garcia. I would definitely have that underdog going into a fight against Danny Garcia. So, in, in essence, as he was to get this fight, we already saw him lose against Prince, and we probably will see him lose against uh, Danny Garcia. He's basically going to sell two losses on his career for probably roughly two to four million bucks. Is it really worth it that much? So, I mean, for me, there's only like one that. Uh, Mikey Garcia has there at 135 pounds. That's Vasil Lomachenko. Um, you know he, he had already defeated Robert Easton Jr. Um, I don't think he would go ahead and wait for Gavante Davis to come up uh, from super featherweight to lightweight uh, for that fight to happen. Um, you know I don't necessarily see him uh, except a David Haney or Tino Fimo Lopez down the line either. So he's like, why not go ahead and um, put his name there in the welterweight division and you know, kind of like go after those guys that are there. I mean, there's still like so many options that he has um, there at welterweight, you know, before, you know, he could, you know, get anything else there at uh, 135 pounds. And so, um, you know, that's kind of like where the direction that uh, he's going in that instance is that he says, there's a lot more options for me there at 147 pounds in comparison to 135 pounds. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just kind of sad to see a guy that's fought so hard to remain undefeated and and had championships in regards to getting to that point, and then just to kind of uh, it looks like giving that away just for to get a little more money, a little more money and exposure at a higher weight class. Yeah, but how, how, how is he giving out of way? How is he giving out of way? What makes you think he can't beat Danny Garcia? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean. So look, look. Uh, Mike Garcia plays against another defense, and Garcia, Danny Garcia, is not shot by any sense of the word. He came up short against Thurman and uh, Porter, and he definitely looked great against his last fight against uh, what you call it. So with that said. He's probably going to definitely enjoy the, He's going to be the, the, large, the larger man in, in the ring. He's been in the weight class longer than, than Mike Garcia. So he's definitely going to be coming in as, as, a, as an underdog against Danny Garcia. So I love Mike Garcia. It just doesn't look good for him in, in regards to being in there with uh, Danny Garcia. That's why I say that. Yeah, but we've seen Danny Garcia get outboxed. Okay? So Mikey Garcia... You know, even though Errol Spence made him look ordinary, Mikey Garcia is a very good boxer. And we know that Danny Garcia doesn't have as much power when he's not sitting down on his punches. So if Mikey Garcia basically keeps his feet moving, then I don't see why he can't beat Danny Garcia. Well, keep in mind that Danny Garcia just uh, took someone out that no one had ever did before. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like up in the air as far as, like, um, you know, what what uh, Mikey Garcia does, um, you know, for the rest of his career. I mean, after uh, his fight with uh, Danny Garcia, but he, I, I just feel that he kind of, like, sees himself uh, with more of a future, you know, financially 
if he uh, stays around that 147-pound division, then trying uh, to see what happens there um, over at 135. And so, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's what he kind of like went ahead and did when he made that initial decision to go after Errol Spence Jr. was because he just didn't see like he would uh, get left as far as like the immensely being at 135 pounds and anywhere that 147 pounds. It's just that he just went on ahead and chose the uh, guy that supposedly other people wouldn't choose to fight um, as his first choice and uh, we see what happened with that. Um, so the, the problem uh, with for Mikey that, Garcia is Lomachenko don't sell tickets. Mikey Garcia in his last fight sold more tickets than Lomachenko has sold his whole career. So it's not a big money fight for him. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing too is that you know we ain't really seeing uh, Lomachenko really push tickets like uh, people think that he actually that he is. So it's not going to be you know something where it would be that lucrative for Mikey Garcia to go after a Vasyl Lomachenko when it's not, you know, he's not uh, pushing those tickets out there going up against the likes of, um, you know, you know those other guys there at 135 pounds. If, if uh, Lomachenko can't really, you know, move tickets uh, there at 135, then, you know, what's the point of, uh, Mikey Garcia really, you know, doing that when, you know, Mikey Garcia could, you know, like when he fought Robert Easton well in that uh, fight against Robert Easton Jr. over there in California. So if he could do that, then what's the point of him going up against him? But Chinko can't really do the same thing on his end by himself. Uh, so that's what you got out of that. Yeah, I covered all that I should uh, really um, on this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Should have a, another episode coming up on Sunday, June 23rd, 2019. Same time, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, here uh, live. But you can also get it on demand through iTunes and also Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts uh, out there. So, uh uh, be sure to be on the lookout for all of that And like I said at the end of every show Point of boxing Is to hit and not get hit Not to send and trade On that note, I'm out Have a good evening everybody Bye-bye, baby.